Welcome to Behavior Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Given the strange and turbulent times that we are living through, Kurt and I decided to reach out to some of our favorite behavioral science researchers and practitioners to get their take on the novel coronavirus pandemic that is shaking the world. These special edition episodes will explore a variety of different aspects of the crisis and our response to each of those aspects through a behavioral lens. We know that you may feel overwhelmed by the crisis already. It seems every news story, every social media thread, every phone conversation that we have is focused on some aspect of the pandemic right now. While the news and updated information are essential, we're going to take a different tact. We want to try to understand the science behind our reactions and our behaviors and how science can help us cope and move beyond the current crisis. In each episode, we talk with a different behavioral science expert and get their best thinking on an aspect of the crisis. So sit back, take a deep breath, and listen to our special series on behavioral science and the coronavirus pandemic. Dr. Ali Fenwick is a scientist at Halt International University in London who specializes in applying behavioral traits and behavioral interventions for business improvement, government policy design, communication effectiveness, and, among other things, psychographic profiling. In the past 48 hours, he's been interviewed by nearly every news source in the UK for this topic. Dr. Fenwick, thank you for joining us on Behavioral Grooves. Thank you, Tim and Kurt, for having me on the show. We are excited to have you. I'm also. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's get right to it. Right. Why are people buying so much toilet paper? <laughs> oh my goodness. The story about toilet paper. It is so interesting to be able to, to, you know, provide a really good answer for that. Let's, let's look at this problem more holistically. Um, the issue really is around this COVID-19 situation, right? It, it mm -hmm. brings along a lot of uncertainty um, and we don't know how to react. Uh, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen in a month from now? Am I still going to be alive? Am I still going to have enough food uh, to feed my, myself and my family? Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty around this. And because this is a very new situation, um, and, and governments haven't been really good at communicating effectively. Don't you agree? Like, there's been very, there's been a lot of inconsistencies in how governments are communicating, also because they just don't know what to do. Um, so we really can't blame them, but they don't know what to do. So I think this, this inconsistency in communicating, um, and also, um, uh, our uncertainties and actually also feeling threatened. Because when we're, when we are put into an uncertain uh, situation or a situation which is perceived as threatening, what happens is that our survival mode starts to kick in, right? And when survival mode kicks in, rational thinking goes out of the window. Yeah. And, and so that's one of the major reasons that's, uh, that we're, you know, we, of course, governments are coming in and saying, well, yes, there will be enough food supply. And don't worry, it's not a shortage of food. It's just an issue of supply chain management of the supermarkets. And trust us, it will be fine. But what happens in this situation, because we don't have anything to compare it to before, we now kind of want to say, wait, 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 we don't want to, we don't want to rationalize this. We need to, you know, take care of ourselves. And the emotions now drive the behaviors. And now people are panic buying. They're going out to the supermarkets and they're, they're hoarding food more than they actually need to have because they just don't know what's going to happen. Now, bringing this back to the toilet paper, um, this is very interesting. Why toilet paper? Um, funny enough, we associate toilet paper with cleansiness, with hygiene. Um, but if you think more rationally, we can live without toilet paper to survive. We can't live without food to survive, but we can live without toilet paper to survive. In many countries around the world, the Middle East and Asia, they don't use toilet paper. They use water to clean themselves. So um, that's kind of the one of the aspects behind it. Now, the second aspect I would explain, uh, help to explain about the toilet paper situation is this kind of scarcity effect, right? Mm -hmm. What we see uh, be, um, be happening. So in, in a hurricane situation or a natural disaster, it's a very similar situation. Um, you know, people run out because they know there's not going to be much left. So people go out and run and buy it. And so when, when, when food supplies or toilet paper, and this matter of fact becomes scarce, it becomes a much more valuable product. So now people want to go out and buy it. They need it more than they might think that they need to have it, and they're willing to pay more money for it, such as with the masks and the sanitizers, exactly the same situation. But there's another reason why uh, toilet paper, um, uh, why people are going after that. Um, I also believe that there's a lot of herd behavior going on because, mm. you know, when oh. we don't Right when we don't know what's happening, when we don't know what to do, we tend to follow other people, especially other people similar like us. It's kind of like um, you know social psychology one hundred and one. 
Mm-hmm. So how are, how are we getting those cues if we're not socially together? Social media. I mean, it, <laughs> right? it, it, it's, it's so funny. We are so connected nowadays. And this, you know, I always say that we, a lot of our own behaviors is driven through the social groups that we associate with. And, and so social groups doesn't mean our, you know, only the workplace or it doesn't only mean our friends, but also the people that we're connected on. Because we want to be connected to people that we like, admire, uh, who are close to us in terms of proximity. And so therefore, when we see them doing that or them spreading a message about that, uh, Again, we're panicked. We don't know what to do. So let's follow the rest and follow the herd. Um, so I think those are kind of the core psychological reasons why people are actually going out and buying toilet paper. So from the herd mentality perspective, that can probably describe a lot more of the behaviors that we're seeing, some of them positive, some of them negative that are going on. But you can tell, uh, again, lots of press lately about, uh, you know, younger people going out partying, doing crazy things, uh, not conforming to the uh, rules that we are being told to to live under with social distancing and various other aspects. So is is herd mentality part of that, but also then what other factors are going into some of that uh, disobedience against some of the conformity around the, the rules? Fantastic question. Um, so yes, conformity and, and herd behavior is definitely an aspect there. Um, I just I just did an interview uh, this morning on Al Jazeera, um, and exactly that question came up. How do you deal with that? Why is this happening? So I think, first of all, um, uh, herd behavior is one aspect. So if we see other people do it, we might do it ourselves, especially younger people, because mm-hmm. the messaging so far has been that younger people are not as affected by uh, the COVID-19 situation. And so they kind of feel, well, you know what? It's not going to happen to me. So let's go out and do Let's go out and have fun. But again, the social hurting aspect can be also explained on the basis of um, that when your friends are going out and you're, they're having fun, remember if they're your close niche friends, um, we drive a lot of identity and a lot of security from the social groups that we, we belong to. So when you see the social group, let's say going out and having fun, it can override your own personal interest. And therefore you mm. feel, well, wait, I feel so connected to these guys. Let me go out and have fun as well, because I'm with them. It's going to be fine. Um, but then, yeah, bringing it back to the other psychological reasons, um, you know, I call it almost like the, the boy cried wolf situation. Whereas, you know, we, we're, we're hearing so much about what's happening with COVID-19. We see what hap- what's happening in Italy. We see what's happening um, in, 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 uh, in China. Um, but we're still saying like, well, look, if it's not happening in my garden, it's not going to happen to me. This is an invisible enemy. Um, so people don't take it that seriously because ask yourself this. Do you know anyone in your surroundings or your friend, uh, friend, and uh, let's say social groups that currently has COVID nineteen? Yeah, I do not. Not not directly. I know I have I have friends of friends, but I don't I don't right. have anyone in my in my social circle. No, not at right. all. Right, right, and and I think that's the issue that's also driving us today to to not adhere to these restrictions or curfews because it's not close to us and when it's not close to us we kind of we can easily push it away we don't take it uh, we take it for granted don't take it serious um but there's also people that are really scared right mm-hmm. people are very scared at this moment about what's happening and their coping strategies how do they cope with this and and so um you know maybe uh, to be defiant in a sense is another way of coping with that um mm-hmm. and saying look you know what i i it's almost like in behavioral economics is called the ostrich effect let me stick my head in the in the sand i don't want to look at what's happening and i'm going to pretend that it's not happening at all it's almost like the the health warning labels on cigarette packages right it's like ah, no that's not going to be me but then again some people don't don't like those health warming uh, health warning uh, labels and they kind of like no i'm going to keep on doing it and i'm going to keep on uh, participating and pretend like nothing is happening at all because that makes me feel at least safe around the situation that's happening today is there any aspect of backfire effect and some of the you know confirmation bias in those types of situations as well when you are having a self identity or a belief system about this and then you get some more facts but obviously confirmation bias looks at and we say, hey, 
I'm not even going to look at those facts or I'm going to discount them. And I may even double down on my, on my prior belief. Do you see any of that coming into play in this? Yeah, that's, again, that's a great question. I, I think this is where the individual differences come into play, right? Everyone reacts very differently. The other person would say, well, you yeah, look, um, the more information I get, the better informed I am. So maybe I should stay put. Um, you know, even when I, when I did the interview this morning, I reached out to a couple of people and they were like, great interview. Should we meet up for coffee at my place or your place? <laughs> <laughs> um, um <laughs> literally no joke i was getting a text and i was saying well you know um and then he responded back saying but no 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 you know we've been all tested for covid19 at work and i'm negative <laughs> oh oh that, that takes yeah. care of everything yeah that takes care of everything and i'm like yeah. mm, maybe not you know maybe <laughs> let's do this some other time and and let me try and you know w w let's wait this out a little bit more and this kind of be secure about stuff and so it's so easy to forget like you know yes it's confirmation bias oh look someone's coming out and giving us information um, yeah, but you know, you're my close friend. So, you know, it's not going to be close to us. It's going to be somewhere over there. So in yeah. a sense, I get what you're saying. Yes. In a way it could be almost confirming, but I also believe that other people might react differently to that just purely on the basis of, you know, different coping strategies and how p people deal with these kind of situations. Well, we were going to invite you for coffee after this interview, <laughs> but you're across the Atlantic. So, uh, you know, it won't happen. <laughs> Virtual coffee. Yeah. For all of these uh, individual responses, there yeah. is still this big herd effect. I was in oh, Walmart. Yeah. I was in a Walmart store yesterday and the aisles for toilet paper, uh, cleaning, uh, products bleach especially completely gone not not yeah. just mostly gone completely gone wow so there are uh there are big tendencies that are still overwhelming our our response to this right absolutely absolutely uh, you know i i was thinking about something when i was doing the interview today um why people are still going out and actually doing what they're doing even when they know there's risks involved even when they know that their uh, restrictions are being imposed on them. I, I think a great, ex a, a great explanation for this is that when we think of social distancing, how has social distancing been communicated so far? Is that don't go to work, don't go to school. So what, what do people do when they don't go to work, they don't go to school? It's playtime. Exactly. So, yeah. So let's go out. Let's go into And then what we were getting a lot of information from the news saying, oh, you know, we've thanks to COVID-19, we're also seeing a lot of positive effects as less greenhouse gases, uh, less pollution. And people are going more into the nature. People are going more into, let's say, the beaches. And that's why now you're seeing herds of people going there. But I think that's an interesting aspect as well. And bringing it back to the Walmart example is that social distancing in a lot of people's mind is, oh, I don't go to work and I, I don't send my kids to school. Therefore, I'm social distancing. And as long as I keep this one or two meters distance from each other, from another person, I should be fine. But then they think playtime again is not social distancing. So it's kind of like I think that also has to do with it as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting my, when my kids are off of school as of as of Tuesday of, of last week, and when they came home, you know, the next uh, Tuesday we started saying, all right, well, you still have to do homework and you still have to to learn, and they're like going. No, this is vacation. This is like time <laughs> off. And so it was exactly. really, and, and it has been the entire time. Right. It has been a, a, a chore to get those guys to be thinking about this, not as you're on summer break. This no. is now you are, this is just, you are learning, but you're learning from home. And granted, the school doesn't have the the distance learning in place and different things like that. So it's been right. up to us and there hasn't been some of that. But, but I understand yeah. that idea that this is now social time. What do we do in social time? We we go out and we we meet right. with our friends. We right. go to the beach, whatever that would be. Right. Uh, all of those interesting things. Let's. I, I want to shift this a little bit. Sure. Can we talk a little bit though? Uh, you know, we've been in isolation for our family for uh, a week, and and it's been okay for us. But you know, I can see this looking going out two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. It's going to get harder, and I think for different people, it's going to be different. Uh, aspects of that. What are some of the psychological aspects of isolation that are going to, uh, that we're going to have to be aware of moving forward with this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, when we think about working from home, being from home, a lot of us actually, when we're in a normal working situation, we think, wow, that's great, right? Work-life balance. It's great to, it's, it's great to work from home to, to have much more of a balance between going to the office and working at home. 
Um, but now with COVID-19, uh, the situation, we're forced to stay at home. That's a huge thing. And because we're now forced to work from home um, and we're seeing these curfews and restrictions imposed on us, we are finding it very difficult to exert our sense of control. And sense of control is really important because uh, when we do stuff, you can say, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to go over there, I want to buy these products. Also, another reason why pe people are panic buying is because they have to have a way to exert their sense of control over the situation, kind of to keep them mentally balanced and mentally safe. Um, and so um, that's something that we need to consider how to bring that back into, into the home place. So that's kind of giving you a more overall perspective of what it's doing to us. And so over time, as we have to now work from home, um, it can be very challenging, as you just mentioned. The more weeks will, will come, the more challenging it will become. But it can also uh, have, um, you know, it could be very risky and have an impact also on your mental health over time, anxiety and depression that will might come out and stuff like that related to this. So let me give you some examples of, of some of the things or some of the strategies that you can apply back in your own home environment at this stage to help you deal with this. Because one thing is for sure, uh, Kurt, it, it, this is going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know how long, so we better start. This is becoming the new norm, so we better start learning and adjusting to the new norm. The first thing that I would recommend is to have um, a dedicated workspace at home, dedicated workspace. Why? Because when you're working from home and you have to work from home, you want to have some kind of clear boundary between your work and and your private life. This is really important. A lot of people might not think it's important. So having a separate room, like here, sitting mm -hmm. somewhere and doing your work and then getting physically moving away from your room and going back to your family. And so that you can create these clear boundaries between what is work and, and what is your private environment. This is really important because when you work and you're feeling, a lot of people are feeling very stressed at the moment. Um, they might be having issues and fights uh, on, online with their colleagues. Uh, people might be getting fired. So uh, there's a lot of negative tensions and emotions going on that it then becomes very easy to bring back into the home environment if you don't clear, clear, create this clear distinction. And, you know, science even shows that these kind of, you know, the, the work environment can heavily impact your private situation, therefore also your family life. So that would be the first, first thing that I would recommend. Quick question on that. Yeah. So, so that works great for people who have that extra space and who have right. the ability to be able to separate themselves physically from that. Right. In those situations where people may not have that space, are there other things you can do that may not be, hey, here's a physical right. barrier between us, but can you right. set something up? Is there other aspects of way to, to, Absolutely. to work with that? Absolutely. So the second, the second thing I'd recommend in this case is to, to answer that question is we are creatures of habits and that mm. means we like routine. We like traditions, right? We like to get up in the morning time, have a cup of coffee, brush our teeth, uh, get dressed. The things that we would normally do when we go to work, um, we have a break in the afternoon. So I think we need to stick to these um, routines that we naturally have because it gives us structure. And when we have structure over our lives, we have more control over our lives. So what I recommend, even though you might not have a physical space, you might have a table, you can still sit somewhere, but try to adhere to these traditions and these habits that you naturally have on a daily basis. So get up in the morning, brush your teeth as you normally do, um, get dressed. Don't sit in pajamas. I mean, it's so easy to go, oh, let me put my pajamas on today, right? Don't do that. Because, yeah, right? You, you will, Are you wearing your pajamas, Tim? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. No, this is, no, it's cold. So this is a, this is a, flannel shirt I'm just joking but but, but it, it's, it's really it's kind of those small details that we tend to forget but this help us to kind of remain in that routine that we have and remaining in that routine can also help us to cope with dealing with um, with working from home and then I also should see part of the routine means finish at 5 p 5 p.m or finish at six stop have a break have a break for lunch and when you finish then that's another kind of psychological way of distancing yourself from work so no emails no checking your mobile phones for emails that we naturally do when we work in the office space this is where we have to be much more strict and say six o'clock at six o'clock phone is off if you have a work phone fantastic put it off it's family time, be with friends, socialize. Um, and I think that's another another strategy that you could apply to uh, to help overcome the issue if you don't have a separate space. Perfect. Thank you. I can imagine that being really challenging for people who are 
uh, at a part of their career where they're used to just being on call all the time. You know, I, yeah. I, I know that, yeah. uh, especially, especially there are some, um, some people who are just really driven and right. they're just driving, they're going to drive even harder right. now right. that they're, they're right. working from home because they don't have a commute. They don't have to worry about any of that silly office chatter that bugs them all the time. I mean, right. they could just get, be heads down and really be focused, right. but there's risks to that, aren't there? Absolutely. Um, you're spot on to say that, you know, there's a lot of people that just want to show how productive they are. And this is one of the things that actually science shows that leads to mental health issues such as anxiety over time. And um, so if, you know, we, when we're away from the office, people can't physically see you, right? They can't see that you're interacting with other people. You, they can't see that you're busy. And so when you're working from home, you almost have this feeling of, you know, being pressured to always show that you're productive. So you're, you're making yourself continuously available. You're writing emails uh, all throughout the day. Um, you are, um, um, you know, you, you want to continuously just be involved and show that you're being productive. And this, of course, besides the work, besides the COVID situation is an additional stressor that is affecting people's behaviors. And if you, if you don't watch out, this could cause anxiety. It could put a lot of stress on, on top of you. But also the reason why we're doing this is, you know, a lot of people want validation. We want mm. social validation. I want you to acknowledge me that I'm here. I want you to acknowledge me that you can see that I'm, I'm being busy. And th that's also another issue um, with online is that you're not getting that. So when you're not getting that but trying to do it, it can also kind of affect your self-worth. Am I still worth it? Am I, am I, you know, uh, am I still making a contribution? Are people seeing me? Will I be fired? You know, so there's a lot of uh, additional uncertainty that comes with that because of missing that social interaction that we'd normally have in a physical space. We had talked with Liz Fossilin, uh, who, who works with emotions in work. One of the things she said is to emotionally proofread your emails. Uh, because what she says is that we, we have that normal bump in that we have inside of corp companies. And when that happens, those are the times where we actually uh, go, hey, you know, Ali, that was a great, you did a great job last week, right? But we don't do right. that in emails. We don't right. do that recognition. Right. Yeah. That emotional check-in with people. We do that in those little in-between moments that we get in an office space. Right. And she said, we need to emotionally check our emails and our conversations. Fantastic. Really. And that's one of the recommendations that I, I highly give to managers now and other people working, like employees or managers, especially managers, mm -hmm. uh, managing people, is that they, they have to go the extra mile to... Uh, provide those social cues. So checking in, giving feedback, I call them feedback loops. So we have to have mm -hmm. more feedback loops um, saying, great job, you're doing well, you know, but also checking in on some of the people. Because remember, for some of us, we love to work by ourselves. You know, I, I, you know, when I did my PhD, my goodness, I spent months at end, right? Sitting at home for, you know, everyone's had a moment of time that they have to spend months. And I've come to like it. I really do. But there are other people out there that really need the hustle and bustle of that social environment of the, of the office space um, and because it provides them a little bit of a structure. It provides them that feedback loop. But in addition, when people are put back at home, all of a sudden their thoughts start to come up and they, they become, um, um, they're kind of put in front of a mirror all of a sudden because now they have to stop and they're thinking, oh my God, I'm getting, I'm getting very nervous. But this is why also the manager should check in or a colleague should check in and say, hey, Sarah, hey, John, how you doing? Is everything good? How, are you still coping well with this? I think we need to do a little bit more of this. We have to have more, like what we're doing now today with this podcast. I can yeah. see you guys. This does so much more to me than just having that conversation. The fact, Tim, I can see you. Kurt, I can see you. I can see you acknowledging me, nodding your heads. You know, I, we need those social cues to have better understanding and make sense of what's happening around us. Maybe this whole uh, thing is actually going to be the great triumph for the introverts of the world. Well, <laughs> uh, the they're, just gonna, will prevail. they're just going to prevail. <laughs> just totally take advantage of this. Well, I mean, I think I think this whole situation is is really helping us to rethink about stuff, right? We we yes. we need to rethink about how we work. Um, um, we need to rethink about how we're communicating. I mean, online has become the go-to um, way of communicating with each other. So I think a lot of us are are going to become much more better at, at communicating online. 
if we if we weren't already. I mean, you know, you said in your introduction, I'm, I'm a professor of organizational behavior at a university. If you give me a thousand people, um, I, I will do very well speaking to a thousand people and keeping them engaged and inspiring them. But you put me in front of a uh, of a laptop, and I know there's a thousand people behind there. I'm really asking myself. I've got a class that I have to do in a couple of weeks. How? Uh, how am I going to speak? There's no interaction. There's no feedback. Um, um, uh, how will I respond to that? So I think that's going to be a learning curve that we're going to go into now. And it's going to be great. Of course, it's an adjustment for us, but I think we'll come out of this much more stronger um, than we're actually going into this. And we'll learn how to deal with these kind of situations much more better. So how do you think this crisis is going to change the way we work going into the future? Great question. Great question. Um, you know, I, my, a lot of my work focuses on the future of work, right? So mm -hmm. um, my PhD research was more into kind of strategic talent management. So how do we manage, engage, retain talent, especially when the world is changing so rapidly? And now this mm -hmm. is a great example of like the world changing so rapidly. One thing I think is going to happen is, you know, for sure, technology is going to play much more of a stronger part in, in how we communicate first of all i think that that's mm. something that's going to radically change from now on um uh, the second thing that i think is going to happen is that um and, and maybe this is more of a you know trying to give some people some positive news and not just kind of think about the scary parts of of covid19 and what's going to happen but i think that there's going to be a lot of um well, I not think, but let's say I, I want to provide a positive perspective to this um, mm -hmm. in a sense of look what's happening right now. People are more together than they ever were before, right? We're now sitting with our families more than we ever did before. Um, we are much more reflective. We have time to think, you know, we've, the world has been moving so fast that we now are kind of putting the brakes on and saying, hey, why am I really doing what I'm doing? Does this really matter to me? Do I have to buy these products? Um, you know, and and I and, and and look at the people going into the environment now. They're going into the nature more than they ever did before. And and I think indirectly there will be kind of cons not consequences but outcomes of, mm -hmm. of, of the situation that we will start to consider back into the workplace. Um, I can't give any clear examples on the top of my. head at the top of my head, but I do think that it will definitely, you know, this is a time of reflection and this time of reflection will, you know, for sure have a, a positive impact on what, how we we'll consider what work is and how we will continue to work. What about life? Do you think that this is going to have an influence or, or what are the influences that this might bring to our social interactions and in our daily lives as well? Right. Well, um, I think what, what the internet has done, what digitalization has done since the early 2000s is that in a sense, if we look at like multi-sided platforms like Uber and, you know, we, we're saying that the internet is making us more connected, but at the same time, it's, it's creating more distance, right? Mm. We're becoming much more individualistic uh, from a sociological perspective. We are, you know, we care much more about the likes that we get on, on, uh, on social media than we care about actually giving a call or having a conversation with someone, something that's socially becoming a little bit more difficult to do. Um, and, and so therefore I think that this, will actually have a positive impact um, on how we, you know, how we reconnect again, um, how we, I don't want to get too philosophical about this, but I think that there's, there's now this moment of reflection is getting us back together as social beings, uh, becoming more reflective. I don't know if you saw Angela Merkel's um, um, uh, address to the nation uh, a couple of days ago where she spoke, you know, about the COVID-19 situation. She, a great example of, of leadership in my eyes, um, where she speaks clearly about the science, what's happening, but she's also saying everyone out there, this is your responsibility everyone has a role to play in preventing this we need to we have to do we have to uh, sacrifice a little bit of our free time or the fact that we're not outside to save other people and and i think this kind of moral aspect um will come back more into uh into the social life as well uh, moving forward i think we'll start considering more people instead of numbers uh hopefully a little bit more so that kind of sustainable aspect on so social relationships will be a positive output uh of of this consequence for us i think yeah last night we had uh my wife and i had a digital virtual cocktail hour with some friends and we spent two hours on a zoom call so and did we 
And wow. it wasn't even with you. There you go. Look at that. <laughs> well, well, I think that just says a lot about our relationship right there. Yeah, I was just going to say so. <laughs> and, and the fact that we have been on virtual, you know, calls for probably eight, the whole eight hours that eight day. hours every day for the last three days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but but it, it works. It 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 was great. Actually, we had a lot of fun. How did you experience? It. How do you how did you experience that? How was it different than? Other times, well, it, it is. It's it, at first, it felt a little bit awkward. We were fun, fumbling with camera angles and how to get uh, the technology set up in a way that sort of worked for us with backlighting and yeah. where we're going to sit, uh, how where you know all the all the I don't know the technical kinds of things. And right. then as soon as we got that, we just got into conversation. Right. And yeah. and of course, you know, a couple of glasses of wine later, nobody cared. <laughs> you know, we, wine, it was, wine is a great is a great um, facilitator yeah. of relationships. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. 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 And we didn't have to commute to to get there. Actually, it was kind of nice for for that purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I it's interesting. I, I haven't done that yet. Um I've been too busy kind of just follow up in a lot of stuff around communicating around the psychological aspects of, you know, of 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 the things the phenomena we're currently seeing happening. Um but yeah, I mean I'm also considering now, like, what are my options? You know, I, I need to stay in, indoors and um, need to be around people at the same time because we, we need to have this contact with each other. So I like, I like that concept of social, um, social cocktailing. I like it. It's, yeah. uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. And I think also I, there was, there was a, a, a post I saw a couple of days ago where people were uh, literally uh, at a, a rave in Germany, but it was a virtual rave. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that was wow. that was very interesting as well to see uh, how people were dealing with that. Uh, they they said it wasn't as fun, but it was still it was still a lot of fun, and it, it you know it kind of shows how resourceful we can get um, and and find ways, especially using technology, to find ways to be more connected. Yeah. So, Ali, I know you said you didn't want to get philosophical, but I'm going to bring us back maybe to a more <laughs> philosophical uh, question here. One one of the things that I've seen, or at least maybe it's my perception of of this, is that we have, as because of all the things that we can no longer do and the the connections that we can no longer have, it kind of is that you know we don't realize what we have until it's gone. Right. And I think there is a lot of that going on, particularly as, as Tim and I just said, we, we both had social, you know, happy hours for, with our friends and yeah. because we couldn't do those. So we had to, to do that. And, and I'm wondering if, uh, again, from your perspective, if you think that this realization of these things is going to stick with us after this is gone, or are we going to just mm. go back? You talked about reflection. We have this time yeah. for reflection now. Right. Is right. this going to stick with us once this is gone, or is it going to be, ah, you know what, that was back then, right. now we're just back into normal and, right. and maybe not appreciate things as much as we, right. we do now? Oh yeah. Now, uh, you know, this, this is, I, I almost can think of this as a system one, system two approach, right? So mm -hmm. system one is, you know, the world's moving so fast. We don't even have time to think we get up and we start running and we do things. And then we only focus on the things that are important for us or that make, make us feel good. Um, and, and that's, you know, I would automatically say the moment that this all disappears and dissolves, um, I do think that we'll see some of that come back mm -hmm. into our social life. Um, it will help us to reconnect. I'll give you a personal example. Um, people that I, I've known um, for many years, um, that, you know, we reconnected recently. So it was a great way to reconnect with people that you haven't reconnected in a long time because they feel like, wait a minute, you know, this is no time to not have an excuse not to connect with each other. And they told me actually that, you know, they had fights with people for many years and all of a sudden because of the COVID-19 situation they reconnected with people because all of a sudden the fight did not seem as in impactful anymore it, it was it was not a reason to not connect so that was I thought was a very interesting analogy COVID-19 and the fact that we're reflecting and not allowing all of these emotional psychological and environmental cues to affect us as much oh, we put on the brakes system two kicks in let's reflect wait a minute I really like that person. I don't want to be disconnected from that person anymore. And maybe you should check around in your surroundings as well. 
and also to the viewers that are listening to this is to, you know, see if people are more willing to reconnect people that you really love and care about that you haven't connected with in many years because of multiple reasons. And now you'll probably see that it will be much more easier to do so because those things that, you know, you thought were keeping you back are not as important anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of say, I think this is a great time to, to jump on the wagon if you haven't, because I think it's the opportunity to do so. But when, you know, when we all go back into a normal situation again, I think, you know, it, it, system one kicks in again, kind of, and we just start moving for the majority of us. Yeah. Well, well there's certainly evidence of more bipartisanship in the U.S. Congress right now that yeah. both uh, the the liberals and the conservatives are working more closely together yeah. than they than we have seen. I think that they always have on some level, but it's much more right. um, in the news. And yeah. there's uh, maybe we can put some of our bipartisan or more more of our partisan issues aside uh, for the time being. At, at least that's what it looks like uh, Absolutely. from my perspective. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is very common in a lot of crisis situations, right? In a lot of crisis situations, we don't have time to think. We don't have time to take a stance. This is where we kind of feel that the crisis situation is something that affects all of us. Um, you know, if, if you are on one side of the spectrum and you have an issue, then you want to defend that perspective. But now it's something that is not just affecting one side, it's affecting all of us. So now it becomes our issue, not yours versus us, mm -hmm. but it becomes ours. And when it becomes ours, we tend to be much more connected, much more willing to work together because we, the more people that come together, the better we're able to deal with this situation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I wanted to get back to, uh, just to get your take on the comment or the term social distancing. I've heard right. some people say they don't like the idea of, of reinforcing this term social distancing when we should be drawing together socially, but doing it digitally. Right. That they, they want to use the term physical distancing and uh and that's and we actually promote social gatherings but in a more in a more digital environment uh what do yeah. you think about the terminology in that regard oh i never thought about that but i think you're spot on um you know using the word social distancing infers that we're we're distancing at all levels um and and um again why would you do something that is inherently us being social. Um, and, and again, how do you interpret social distancing? As the example I gave you before, social distancing, yes, we're not going to be social when we're at work. We have to stay home. We're not going to be social at school because we're going to stay home. But let's go and have fun, right? So then we can kind of say, okay, well, being together, it means social and we're not we're not not social distancing then. So I, I think you're right. I think I think maybe having saying kind of rephrasing this or, or redefining this as so physically distancing. I think yeah. that's a much more better thing because social is so much of us, right? Social media, our social identities, uh, our social, uh, all these factors that work for social is about us. So telling us not to be us is kind of counterintuitive. I never thought about that. Tim, that was really, that's a great point that you made there. I would also agree with you. Let's call this physical distancing. I, yeah. I, that's something that I would definitely try to communicate uh, onwards after this. I think that's a great way of coming up with a better analogy for this. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I can't take credit for it. Let's just be, we, we've, heard, we, we've heard of some of our guests mentioned this. Yeah. So I, I don't yeah. Know. No, no, I, I think it makes I, sense. It makes absolute sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's an aspect of that where you go, oh, is social even priming that idea of social in our brains? And so then the, we get that all mixed up and, and doing different things. So I think that's really interesting. So Ali, any last words of, advice for people as we're going, you know, we're just at the start of this. Right. We are right. literally, and we're uncertain how long it is going to last with this crisis. Right. So what should people be thinking about now in order to prepare for this in the long run? Are there things that we should be prepping for now? Uh, things that we ought to be putting into place at this point or things that we should be anticipating in the future? Wow. That big question. Yeah. I apologize no, for throwing no, no. that. That's you know. a, but it's a great way to end the show. I, I, I agree. Um, but just to come up with, the, with some advice, what I could do on the, about this, what could I advise about this? First of all, let's talk about what to anticipate. I think that's a great way to start. Um, so anticipating what might happen. Let's take China, right? China now at this moment, they, you know, when we first saw what China did, they closed down everything. Their response was quick. 
Um, you know, and the stuff that we saw maybe on social media was very frightening. It was like, oh my God, they're welding doors. And, you know, that, that does look very frightening. But now, you know, speaking to my friends, uh, expat friends in China, they're telling me that social life is, is coming, you know, is, is starting again. People are connecting, going out, everything is, you know, coming back. Um, the one thing that I anticipate here in Europe, um, and again, looking at the situation in Italy, is and also the U.S. because you guys mm -hmm. both are based in the U.S. So I, I think our governments, because they just don't know what to do, uh, and their messaging has been inconsistent. I, I don't think that we're, we, we've taken strong enough action as of yet. So this could potentially mean, and this is just a guess from my side, that. If the COVID-19 situation does explode exponentially, um, we could be in for a rough time, mm. right? Um, because we didn't take the right measures at the right time. But again, we're just kind of, you know, this is all kind of very testing the testing the air, right? So, um, so we have to be careful for, you know, or, or prepare for that. Yeah, and, and but, but, but be again also be very rational about this. We know that this food supply won't dry up. We know that we'll be able to still get food. Supermarkets are looking at how to reconfigure um, their supply chain management, how to do more food deliver home deliveries. Um, you know, so they're they're working on this, right? And and so I think in terms of knowing that food supplies will be there, um, also remember to be very cautious about how much food you buy. So first of all, that is a very core thing. I like to use the analogy of um, in a war situation when there's a hundred soldiers and there's one soldier that goes out and buys all the guns or all, all the weapons or whatever, 99 people are going to be without it. And that yeah. means that your, your army of a hundred people will not be able to win that war. And, and, and so be, be thoughtful of that. Um, buy what you need to have. But also know that the only way that you can really fight this situation is that we can do, we have to do this together. We need to do this as a group of people. So try to allow yourself not to your personal needs to drive every single decision, but be considerate about others and be willing to sacrifice for the greater good. And when I mean sacrifice, I'm not saying money or anything like that. I'm saying sacrificing your time, the fact that you can't be outside, your your willingness to um, you know um, um, keep distance from other people, and your willingness to allow other people to also buy food supplies and necessary supplies to survive. So kick in that system too, put on the brakes, be um, and be cognizant of that we need to do this together. And if we don't do this together, we might be even in a more worse situation. So I think that's the biggest advice I can give because that way I can address many different situations, buying food, distancing, social interaction, just be very cognizant. Let's protect those people that need the protection the most. Younger people seem to be less affected by the COVID-19 uh, virus. Um, and elderly are. So let's be more protective of them, help them out, be helpful as well, see how we can com uh, contribute to, to our communities. I think those are kind of more the things that we should be thinking of and then translating that mindset back into day-to-day -day practices. Mm. Fantastic. Thank That's you. That's terrific. Yeah. Th thanks so very much for joining us on Behavioral Grooves today. Thank you for having me on the program, guys. Welcome to the special edition Grooving Session, where Tim and I groove on some of the key ideas and concepts that were inspired by our very fun and informative conversation with Ali. All right, Tim. Yeah, talk about doctor, like I've got it down, like I'm <laughs> totally in the groove. He was points and tips and number one and number two, number three. It was a great conversation. It really, really was a great conversation. That's why he's been called for all of these interviews that he's been on recently. So yeah, he should yeah. be. All right. So was there any key piece of this that you really felt was important and glommed onto? There were several. The first thing that hit me kind of emotionally was this, this idea that isolation is just bad for people. It's yeah. bad for human beings. We don't do well in isolation. And it struck me as the difference between talking about being alone or having loneliness. Mm. Right. The, and it's and it's not an exact analog, but if I think about being alone is something that I choose typically. It's something that I'm isolating myself. I'm moving away from the crowd. I'm separating. I'm going to be alone here for a little bit. But loneliness is something that comes because uh, I mean that's the psychological effect of it. And I feel right. like when 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 it's forced on us, when being separated is forced on us, then there's more risk of loneliness. Yeah. Well, I think there's a sense of autonomy that is missing, right? You don't get to oh, choose yeah. 
to be alone. You and I work from home all, you know, just normally. Right. We choose to do that. That was our choice to do that. The the idea that being uh, having a shelter in home, you know, thing put on or just a work from home from an organization or maybe even being quarantined because you might have some symptoms and you're quarantined for a couple weeks. All of those factors can go into that sense of isolation because you don't have the autonomy to say that to make it any different. And so you right. don't have a choice. Right. It's being forced on you. And we don't like that. First no, of all, we don't like that. tend not to like being forced to do anything either. Well, but, but going back to your, you know, lonely versus being alone versus being lonely, right? The other thing is that you can be lonely and have others around. And so I think part of this too is that while, you know, there are some individuals who are sheltering in home by themselves and being placed in those quarantines by themselves, there are others of us that have families. You know, I have my two kids and my, my wife and, and, and others that have lots of people around, but they could still have a sense of isolation. They could still have the sense of being alone in these times because it's not the status quo. It's not their normal habits, their normal routines. They're out of sorts. They don't have those normal conversations that they may have with their coworkers, like we talked with Liz. A variety of different factors that can play into that sense of isolation, which again, as Ali said, we're not designed as humans to really be isolated like this. We are communal people. We, we like having that sense of community surrounding us and being able to interact and have even touching and uh, other aspects that are now kind of out the window. Yeah. It's, it's really important for us to take action, right? Not to just, not to just sit in it, but to do something about it. And that requires some intentionality and some forward thinking and will just require some, some critical thinking. Right. And we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, the virtual connections that, that are taking place. One of the things I think if people are starting to feel that sense of isolation, really do need to reach out um, and, and have that forward thinking of, how am I going to connect with people that I'm not connecting with? What are the ways that I can feel that sense of community? And we did a, a Behavioral Grooves meetup just the other day where we had a Zoom call that had 15 people on it. Yeah. And we it all great. sat around and opened up our drink of choice and talked <laughs> it was for in an the hour evening. and a half. Yeah, it was a after talked for an hour and a half. Uh, so find opportunities to do that. Maybe start opportunities like that. Um, so lots of different things we can do there. Absolutely. What 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 struck you, Kurt? What uh, what came to mind when you were thinking about our conversation with Ali? Well, there was an interesting piece that he talked about herd behavior and this idea that we follow the herd. In particular, we were talking about some of the the craziness that was going on at spring break and oh, kids yeah. going out and being uh, defiant against the uh, protocols that have been put in place. And he mentioned this idea of, you know, we cope sometimes by being defiant. And that was an important, the, important idea. Yeah. yeah and, and he mentioned this ostrich effect, which is really about denial, but I think that plays into this as well, right? The ostrich effect where we're in denial of the reality that's going on. Right. And I think that's also a coping mechanism. And yeah. So I think we've had a number of people who, because of this crisis, there's, again, taking away our autonomy, taking away that self-control, uh, that they're coping by being defiant around that. And there's this herd piece that comes in with that too, saying, well, if they're doing it, then they're my, they're my more social peers, that the peers that I associate with. And so I will be okay because now I'm not an outcast with that because I am actually an incaster. That doesn't make sense, but, uh, you know, in-cast, out-cast, isn't that, this is, what's the alternative to outcast? I, I, I guess so. In-group, sure. out-group. Let's use the, the let's that, use the psychological that terms better. In-group yeah. and out-group, right? That's my in-group. Yeah. Um, and so, I think those are really key pieces of all of this. Well, and what keeps the herd together 
oftentimes boils down to clear communication, certainty, uh, some something that we can count on. And- Which is absolutely not what we're getting today from uh, <laughs> some of our leaders around this. And we're so they're looking for yes. alternatives. Yeah. They're looking for those things that they can be certain of, that they do have clear messaging that's coming through from those people. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. What else? Well, uh, you know, he talked really succinctly and and forcefully forcefully is probably not the right uh, intelligently about uh, how to work from home successfully right oh yeah he's and, got the he's got the lists man you know have a dedicated workspace have dedicated work routines uh, let go of the pressure to appear productive uh, you know and we brought in make sure that we acknowledge each other socially you know, I think there's also some ideas of we should that Liz Fosling brought up about get up and move. Don't get in efficiency yes. mode. Yes. Make sure you're taking breaks. Yeah. Um, you know, but I also thought you know there's there's a number of routines that we could start implementing, right? And I think importantly is that start and stop routine. Like, yes. what do you do when you start work? What do you do? When you stop work and you had talked about even just you doing it normally working from home, you, you shut your computer down and you, mm-hmm. you set your phone aside, you know, so, but what is that routine that, that indicates I'm moving from work mode into social family mode? Yeah. Or, or home mode or what, what, whatever that is, but it's not work. And this might be a good time to be intentional about making a change, even if you're still getting up and going to an office. Well, I guess just almost nobody's going to an office these days, but, <laughs> but, it, but in the case that we get back into routines where you're going back into the office, then continue or consider continuing the idea of being intentional about coming home. And once you do your wrap up, yet you you shut down your computer, you turn off your phone, you put your phone in a place where it's not going to be uh, distracting you because it's so easy to get into that seven by 24 thing when it it doesn't help us. It 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 doesn't doesn't really help us in the long term. Yeah. And I think there's some other things from working at home and being isolated in this, it's this idea that, well, I'm at home. I don't really need to get dressed or shower. So <laughs> I can just show up and throw on a, throw on a nice thing over my, over my pajamas uh, in any video call. You do have good no. looking pajamas though. Currently. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. you know, when I live in them, that's kind of what I you get. Know, you you get nice ones. Yeah. You get, yeah, get some good nice pajamas. Ones. But I think you do need to, make sure you're taking care of yourself from that perspective. And that's part of those routines that you should probably maintain. Yeah. Uh, you should probably, um, you know, think about the aspect that, yeah, while you don't necessarily need to shower, it's probably a good uh, habit to maintain. <laughs> <laughs> we, we like, especially in times when we're fighting a virus, which, which <laughs> thrives on, you know, things that aren't clean. There you um, go. But but that comes back to intentionality, right? right? Which is a which is the last piece that I I think we want to talk about, right? Which is this idea where he said, you know, take some time to think, use this crisis to make rational decisions about what you want in life. Right. I thought that was absolutely spot on. It's echoed in conversations that we've had with Liz and with James Brewer and with Christian Hunt. You know, Christian said it beautifully, don't outsource your critical thinking. James Brewer talked about be open to learning, right? These are opportunities to be intentional um, that if we don't take advantage of them now, they're, these, they'll pass us by. Well, and I, and I think, a crisis like this, where where our world is upended, where the standard routines that we are accustomed to and that we do day in and day out are no longer there, allows us this opportunity to get a different perspective on what's important. It provides us with a new reality where we can look back at what we have given up and what we have now change to do to say, what was important before that I'm missing? What did I think was important before 
that I'm not really missing. So do you think this could be analogous to like World War II? You know, it's it's come up multiple times in our conversation. Like this is yeah. a worldwide aspect of it. World War II went on for a long time there, you know, and it was definitely different from men went off to war then, women stayed home. Uh, so there was different aspects of it, but to the degree that it was socially upending, that the world was a very different place in 1941, 42, 43, 44, than it had been in 38, you know, 39 for the U S at least that, yeah, it changed how people thought. Right. And I think there was some aspects of it. Now, I don't know if people took the time to think about it while the war was going on. Right? I don't know if they I don't know if that if they had if they had the sort of ability to because they're just trying to scramble. Right. My, cons- my concern with bringing up World War II as this great example is that that was, as you mentioned, is, is years of sustained change and forced change. And here, right now, with the with the virus, we're looking at weeks and months. There hasn't been any talk about years of significant change coming from this. And I don't know if it's long enough to build new habits, let's say, for instance. If it, if it will really change our social norms around how we interact and how, how intentional we might be. So the, the difference here is that in World War II and, and what happens in times of crisis is that we like to gather right we that the community serves as a way of solace and of comfort for mm-hmm. us in this pandemic we are being told that we can't come together that we need to stay apart and i think that social aspect of it gives us a, a it's a unique element in in kind of the crises that we've looked at over the past, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at 9-11, what did we do after 9-11? We came together. Uh, what did in, we in do? In physical places. In yeah. physical places. We, we lit those candles. We had vigils. We did all of the things that we normally do. Even you go to a local, you know, tragedy of, of some, you know, a death or a shooting, people gather around for those. Yes. We, we can't do that at this point. And I think that that has a psychological impact on us. Going back to Ali's very first thing, the sense of isolation, right? And it's not necessarily isolation from as an individual or even as a family. It's this isolation from the community, the larger community that we are a part of. Or, or even our closer community, even family or friends that don't live in our house. We yeah. can't get together with them. Yes. And so we call uh, people who are brothers and sisters and cousins, people that we would see on a regular basis, uh, children, and we can't see them. We can't meet up for lunch because the restaurants are closed and because it's just a bad idea to to meet up at this yeah. point, to actually be in the physical presence. And that that's really hard. And that's a really big difference between what's happening now and even something like 9-11. I think that that's... Because within an hour of 9-11, I remember uh, I was working in a company where within an hour of the second tower going down, we act, just everybody just went to the cafeteria and, and started just talking and crying about their fears and woes and people were praying and all kinds of things in the same space. We were right there collected in the same space and, and we can't do that now. I mean, that's why we we get together for funerals. It's why we 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 <laughs> do those things. Um, yeah, because it's the sense of of being close to other people who are in the same situation as us, and we have that shared uh, element. Now, given this crisis, we don't have that, and so I think it is a much more poignant uh, psychological aspect than some of the others in in different ways right i mean yes there's death that's involved with this yes there's there's hardships that's involved with this like was happening in 9-11 and in um, world war ii as well but we also have this third layer that's put on which is the social distancing and i think from that perspective this idea of reflection and making decisions on what is important in life may have, may have 
an opportunity to actually have more stickiness, more staying power than what you would normally think. Thank you for listening to the special episode of Behavior Grooves. We hope that you found it interesting and insightful. If you liked it, please let others know. We think that the topic is important and maybe we can help in educating people about how behavioral science can help us all out in this current craziness that we are going through. Also, please let us know if you have any thoughts or ideas that would be helpful or that we could share. You can reach us through the Connect tab on the Behavior Grooves website at www.behavioralgrooves.com or through Twitter. I'm at T. Houlihan and Kurt is at What Motivates. We really do love hearing from you. And this topic is one that spurs lots of emotions and thought. As part of our mission, we want to expand and inform the community of people who think about positively applying behavioral science to life. One way that happens is through leaving reviews. If you think this podcast is beneficial and should grow, we would really appreciate to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast server you use. It only takes a few minutes and goes a long way to boost us in the algorithms that are used to generate search results. Also, please check out the show notes. We are linking to a number of resources articles, podcasts, newsletters that we vetted to bring good facts and ideas around COVID-19 and the coronavirus, its impact and ways that we can help slow down the spread. There is a lot of information that's being pushed out to everyone each day, and we are weeding through it to find good stuff so that you don't have to. We truly appreciate you listening. Now go out and wash your hands. 